Okay, as uh, Mike said, things have gone slightly different to the, to the way perhaps we would plan if it was up to us how things were always going to go. But even though I'm starting uh, speaking a little bit later, what I had in terms of response has already happened. So it's kind of worked a little bit back to front, but I found that so encouraging that actually what I felt God have put on my heart for today has already been, been brought out. And it's been so great to hear um, from a number of people within our family about what God's been saying to them and about what God's doing. I hope you're encouraged as well. Um, so I don't know what time you got in here today. You might have been, may have been in here for about an hour. By now we're about an hour into our service, or uh, I know the stewards and the worship team, they've been in since nine o'clock. They're probably the people that were earliest in and the refreshments team, but I want you to imagine that actually you've not been here today just for an hour or maybe two hours, but I want you to imagine we've been here together for days. We've been spending the last few days here together because we've been told that something really important is going to happen, but we just have to to wait but we, we kind of need to stick together and wait for that so we've already been together for a number of days and then as we're here together today you notice the stewards start running around and checking the windows and checking the doors because you can hear it's getting windy I'm not talking about some gentle breeze but really strong wind and the stewards come back and they say windows and doors are shut this isn't something that's going on outside this noise this strong rushing wind this is happening right here within the building and then someone at the back you you kind of catch something that looks a little bit unusual and you start to panic as you spot something on them and you think is that fire quick who's in charge of health and safety i'm sure that's what we'd all do who's in charge of health and safety come on what's going on there's fire here but then you actually realize hang on that even though it looks like fire, it actually looks like it's just resting on that person. They look pretty at peace and, okay, maybe I don't need to worry. And then it's not just one person, it's not just two or three, but it's across the whole room. As you look around, you just see these tongues of fire on people. And then someone at the side starts to chat, starts to talk, and you can't quite understand what they're saying. You think, I'd just get a little bit closer, I can't quite hear what's saying. And the, even the closer you get, you realise... The reason you can't understand what they're saying is not because they're saying it quietly, it's because they're not speaking English. You have no idea what they're talking about. And then someone else across the other side of the room starts talking. And you don't understand what they're saying either. And again, it starts popping up all over the room. And you, you did languages at school, and you're like, hang on, I recognise a bit of Spanish there. There's something going on there. Okay, so this is proper languages that, that people are speaking here. And again, this is just it's going on all over the place. And then you look outside at the windows and you see faces pressed up against the glass as crowds are gathering to see what's going on. Some are amazed at what's going on. Some are even saying, I, someone in there is speaking the language of my, of my home country. I can understand what they're saying. What's, what's going on? Why is this happening? Some in the crowd, they think we've uh, maybe think we've been drinking this early in the morning. Come on, their behaviour is a little bit, bit strange. What's going on? And People might be looking in and mocking a little bit. Then I want you to imagine that someone gets up to speak. I'm not going to pick anyone out. It could be someone just gets up to speak. And you've heard them speak before. And you've heard them talk about Jesus before. But something's different this time. And as this person gets up to speak, they speak with such clarity, such conviction, such power about what's happening. And they explain 
there's a lot of stuff that's going on here that we've not experienced before, but this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we were told to wait for. And then they start to speak about Jesus. That's why we're here, isn't it? We're here for Jesus. So this person starts to speak about Jesus in a way that you've... It's like they're just explaining it for the, for the first time, for themselves. It's everything's just clicking into place. So they speak about who Jesus is and about what he's come to do, what he came to do. And then, I guess what's maybe traditionally been called an altar call comes up. And the person who's speaking, they say, look, saying to the crowds outside, you can know this Jesus for yourself. You need to put your trust in him and you need to be baptised. And then what happens is we spend the rest of the day baptising people. And then when the day's finished, uh, you know, we, we kind of like numbers and knowing how many people have responded to different stuff. And we're kind of chatting at the end of the meeting and think, oh, that was a, that was a busy day today. Feels like we've been baptising people for hours and hours. How many people have been baptised and are wanting to join the family? And someone turns around and they're like, it was thousands. And in that moment, you realise something has changed and nothing is ever going to be the same again. Do you know what? That's what happened at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people, the promised Holy Spirit, 120 people, a small group, 120 people gathered together waiting. The Holy Spirit comes and everything changes. Day one, that group went from 120, over 3,000 people were added. And we can read about it in Acts 2. Today our focus uh, is really a little bit in the, in the run-up to Pentecost, what I want us to look at. We're not going to be in Acts 2, but we're going to be in Acts 1. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Acts 1. Um, don't worry if you don't have a Bible with you, it will come up on the screen. But while you're finding your way there, just to kind of put this in context really, this is the last in our series, as Mike has said, where we've been... Talking about conversations with Jesus, looking at conversations and encounters that people had through the scriptures. Uh, And over the last nine weeks, we've looked at conversations and encounters that Jesus had with a really wide variety of people, with fishermen and tax collectors, those who were highly religious, those who were outcasts on the edge of society, the rich, the proud, his mum, high-ranking officials. And then last week, we were looking at the conversation that Jesus had between himself and one of his followers who had really messed up and was in need of grace and mercy. So this morning, as I say, it's the last in our series and our attention in this series, Conversations with Jesus, is going to be on the last conversation that Jesus had with the apostles, so with those chosen disciples before he returned or before he ascended to heaven. It's a conversation that took place actually just a few days before Pentecost that we were just thinking about just a moment ago. So let's pick up from Acts chapter 1. We're going to start from the very beginning, and from verse 1. So this is Luke who's writing this. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And 
He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So then it's just a few days after this, Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit is poured out just as Jesus says as was going to happen. So the book of Acts, as I said, was written by Luke. This is his second book alongside the, the gospel of Luke, his gospel account. And at the start, at the very start, as we've just read, he explains how in his first book, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He speaks about uh, Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, how he was crucified, how he didn't stay dead, but how he rose again, and then how he appeared to his followers, how over the course of 40 days he spent time speaking and teaching them about the kingdom of God, all the way up until Jesus returned to heaven. He says, that's what I've covered in my first book. There's one word that he uses that I think I've missed fairly often. And it's one word that carries such a weight and such a significance. In the, he says this, he says, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In this very same chapter, Luke, he's about to describe how Jesus left the disciples and returned to heaven. Yet the first book and everything up until this point is about what Jesus began. You see, the Gospel of Luke doesn't finish with a, the end. It's more of a to be continued. And as we, if we continue to read through Acts... If we read through the rest of the Old Testament, as we look back over the past 2,000 years of the church and into church history, not just into church history, but the history of the world, do you know what we see? We see that Jesus is still at work building his church. And central to this is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Luke says that Jesus spent time speaking about the kingdom of God. He orders the apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. So they were told to wait. The Holy Spirit was going to come. And the Holy Spirit, is, he's described by Jesus as the promise of the Father. It appears that at this time, as Jesus is back with, his, with the apostles, back with his followers, it appears that his focus was on the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God, and also on the Spirit of God. Those two things were really his focus. Now the apostles... Their question to Jesus, as we see in what Luke's recorded, their question is this. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? They were waiting for Jesus to restore his kingdom. But the question that they ask actually reveals what they were, what they were expecting the kingdom to be like, much more than what Jesus knew the kingdom was going to be like. Throughout their history, for Israel and for the Jewish people, if, if you look back throughout the Old Testament through the history God uh, rescues them from their enemies. He restores them. And it seems to be a bit of a, a pattern that goes through. Um, they have their enemies. But God rescues them and restores them. And maybe when they're asking this question, I think it's safe to say that they were probably expecting the restoration of a, a political and a territorial 
kingdom, with Roman armies driven out and Israel's national sovereignty restored. That's what they're asking for. Will you restore the kingdom uh, of Israel at this time? These, they've got it wrong. These men, they've been with Jesus for three years. They'd heard him teach. Not only had they heard what he had to say, they also saw it in action. These are the ones who were chosen by Jesus. And as we'll see in a moment, they were the ones who were handpicked by him to take his message into the world. Yet they still didn't understand, even though Jesus had spent this time explaining to them about the kingdom. You see, they expected the kingdom to be physical, they expected it to be local, and they expected it to be immediate. That's what they were expecting the kingdom to be. Very helpfully, when I was uh, preparing for today, in there was a commentary by a guy named John Stott, and he helpfully sets out what the kingdom is actually like as opposed to what the, what the apostles thought it would be like. So they thought it would be physical, local, and immediate. John Stott says that actually the kingdom is spiritual in its character, international in its membership, and gradual in its expansion. So nothing at all like what the apostles were expecting. I could do a, a whole sermon on those three things, Right now, I'm not going to because actually I feel I want to touch on something else. But I will come back to it in growth groups because I think it would be good for us to look at. So I'll make sure we get some questions looking at that. But it, the, the reason I'm saying it is because we have to understand that what the apostles' expectation of what the kingdom coming was like wasn't actually what the kingdom was going to be like and what Jesus was telling them to prepare for. See, the apostles, they don't yet understand. But Jesus is kind to them. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't correct them and start to sit down and explain exactly what the kingdom's going to be like. Nice three points of what it was like as we've just seen. But rather than giving them, they were after like a, they were after a deadline or a time scale. God, is it at this time that you're going to restore this kingdom? Can you tell us when this is going to happen? They wanted, to, they wanted a deadline for it. But Jesus doesn't give them a deadline or a time scale. Instead of that, he gives them a mission that they're to be involved in and to take part in. He says that they're to be his witnesses, they're, which means to make him known, to tell of what they've seen and heard, of what they've experienced of Jesus, that people who haven't yet heard about him will get to hear about him. And the purpose of this, the purpose of witnessing, the purpose of telling people about Jesus, as we see in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. So when he's calling the apostles to be his witnesses, it's because actually he wants more disciples to be made. But not just locally, but he's disciples of all nations. To make disciples, to call individuals, to commit and to follow Jesus. So when Jesus is saying, actually, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it's an ever-increasing reach. It's starting local, but moving out. Not to be kept in one place. About reaching new nations and, and people groups. So that everyone has a chance to hear about Jesus. So he's given them this mission. But before they're to begin their witnessing, before the message can be taken to the world, Jesus says, I need you to wait. He says, this is your mission, but don't kind of hold your horses a little bit. Just wait. For a few days, I need you to wait. And I need you to wait until you've received the Holy Spirit. 
saying, don't even try and do this without the Holy Spirit. You need to have him. Now, this conversation is between Jesus and the apostles. Conversations with Jesus, our series, this is between Jesus and his apostles. And we have to, we can't miss the huge role that these guys played in the emergence and the establishment of the church. They were absolutely fundamental and vital to that. But the mission remains for us today. There are disciples to be made. There are people who still need to hear about Jesus. There are people groups, nations, tribes, clans who are still to be reached. Every one of us is to be a witness. <coughs> so the mission remains today, but, and I really cannot emphasize this enough, we can only accomplish God's mission if we are filled with God's power. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit, as Jesus describes him, he's the promise of the Father. And it's that phrase, as I was preparing for today, that kind of really got me thinking. Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. There's a lot we could say about mission and our need for the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. But I want us to think a little bit about about what I was just saying in terms of the Holy Spirit being the promise of the Father because it reminds me of some words that Jesus spoke to the same disciples, to the same group. But this time it was at the Last Supper. So before his crucifixion, before he was taken away and crucified. And again, Jesus starts speaking to them about the promise that's coming from the Father. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit who's been promised, how he's going to come and he's speaking about it in the context if, if you were to look at kind of John 14 through John 16 and Jesus is having this conversation at the last supper so remember before he's crucified before he's taken away and he's with his disciples and he speaks about actually there's one who's coming who's been promised by the father he's the holy spirit and he's coming to you but he's talking really in the context of how when Jesus is gone those who are left behind are going to face hostility and persecution in the world. They're going to find themselves in the world. But in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit is going to be given to them. John 15, into John 15 and 16. I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but I want to start at John 15, 26. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then jumping down to 16 verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. So again, this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, about his, the need for the Holy Spirit to come and what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Have you ever thought that it would be easier, not easier, have you ever thought that it would have been better to have lived during the time of Christ in terms of living a Christian life? To have actually seen him, to have heard him, to have watched him, to have met him, to have spent time with him. I think it, it, potentially it's tempting to think that we could have known him better if we were in the place that the disciples were. But Jesus himself says that's not the case. When he's talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to go. I have to go. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go. Because when I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. It was better for Jesus to go and to, to leave the disciples so that the Holy Spirit could come. Have you seen the latest John Lewis Christmas advert? The basic idea of the advert is uh, there's a, a little boy and there's a monster who lives under his bed. And they become best friends. Um, and they love playing together and doing things together. But it soon becomes clear that actually the, the little boy can't cope during the daytime because he's so tired from all of, the, all of the fun he's been having in the night. And so the monster, I think his name is Moz. Maybe I know too much. But he um, decides actually he needs to go. Um, and so he, he decides to leave, but he doesn't leave without leaving a gift for, for the boy. And as the boy opens this gift, it's a nightlight to keep him comforted during the night time because his friend isn't there. And when I was thinking about when Jesus was saying, I have to go, but I'm going to send another one. It's better for you that I go, but I'm sending one that comes. Now, obviously, with all illustrations, there are limits to how far you could and should take them. Uh, I'm not saying at all that Jesus was a bad influence on his friends as this monster was. But the thing that Jesus is saying, actually, I have to go. But I'm going to send one who will come instead. But I'll say this. So in that, the John Lewis advert, the monster realises he has to go. But he leaves a comfort in his place so that his friend would be comforted in his absence. The Holy Spirit is absolutely a comforter. I think there are times, maybe each of us would be able to recognise in our own lives where we've needed to know the Holy Spirit is comforter a lot more times than others. But the Spirit was not merely to bring comfort because Jesus was going away. Remember, Jesus said, it's not that I have to go, but because I'm going, I'm going to send someone. He's saying, it's better for you that I go because if I go, then the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit is so much more than a nightlight in the dark for us. In both John 14 and John 16, we see Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit as the helper. At least that's how the ESV translates it, which is the version that I have and I was reading from today. And if you were reading along in your Bible, you probably had a different word there. So in mine it says helper, in other versions it's translated as comforter, counsellor, exhorter. It's a quite, a, quite a lot of variety. But I think the reason why there is such a variety is because the original word that's used is so rich, it's hard to convey it just through a single English, single English word. There are limits to our, to our language. So Jesus says, I'm going I'm to send someone to come as a helper. But the NIV translates it as advocate. 
Now, an advocate, we, we might hear it in legal terms, is someone who um, uh, sometimes used as, as someone who would represent you in court, come alongside you and represent you in court. And I think maybe this gives us the best picture of who the Holy Spirit is, at least in terms of part of what he does. The Greek word that Jesus uses is paraclete. Let's be careful there, I nearly said parakeet. It's close, but it's not. It's paraclete, which means to come alongside in order to support. That's how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He's one who comes alongside in order to support. And I want to spend just a few moments thinking about, okay, so what does that actually look like? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to draw alongside us? And to support us. Almost what can we expect? What's our expectations to be? John 14, 25. So we're still at the Last Supper when Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, or the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. What Jesus is saying is that that the Spirit who has come alongside us, he takes all of the things that Jesus has done on our behalf to teach us and to remind us. He reveals Jesus to us. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to understand. Tim Keller um, wrote in his book, Encounters with Jesus, he writes about a theologian called J.I. Packer. And how Packer has taught that the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit's ministry is much like that of a, of a floodlight. That's how he, it's a helpful picture for us to use. The Holy Spirit's like a floodlight in that if you walk by a building at night and it's floodlit, you say, look at that beautiful building. You might not even see where the light is coming from. The floodlight's job is not to show you itself, but to show you the beauty of the building. To throw all of its features into relief. And he's saying that's what the Holy Spirit is like. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to see how much Jesus loves us. It's the Holy Spirit who enables, enables us to see just what it cost for Jesus to love us. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to see what Jesus' love has accomplished for us. We read just a moment ago in John 16, 14. Jesus says this of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Remember, there was a lot the disciples didn't understand. When Jesus tells them that the kingdom's coming, they, they, didn't, they still didn't quite grasp it, even though Jesus had been teaching them for days and days about it. And when Jesus was telling them before the crucifixion that he was going to have to go, the disciples, again, they didn't understand. They're like, no, you, you, can't, you can't go away. There was a lot they didn't understand. And they had Jesus with them. John 14 to 16, where we've just been focusing. Jesus hadn't yet been crucified. The next few days for the disciples would have been times of great confusion, of great sorrow, of great anguish. They wouldn't have had a clue that what was going on. Jesus is gone. He's dead. Then the resurrection happens and Jesus is back. What's that going to do for the disciples if they were confused before? They're trying to piece all these, uh, kind of put all these pieces of the picture together. But it wasn't until the Spirit came 
that everything was revealed to them. We were speaking about Pentecost earlier. If you were to look at the account of Pentecost in Acts 2 and you see the way that Peter, the, the, the sermon that Peter presents, some things, he gets it now. He's fully able to explain who Jesus is and why Jesus came and what he's accomplished. But that's after the Holy Spirit has come. You see, the Holy Spirit is more than a nightlight to comfort us in Jesus' absence. He's a floodlight who shows us the beauty of Jesus. A few months ago, back in May, uh, we did a series on Philippians. And I was just reminded of some verses in Philippians. Philippians 2. The Apostle Paul, speaking to to the church in Philippi. So again, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out, he says this. He says... Um, it says, brothers, I do not consider that I have. It helps if I'm reading from the right chapter there. So, sorry. Um, he says this to the church. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for the good of his pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labour in vain or labour in vain. This is Paul's call to the Spirit-filled church. The Spirit-filled church made up of People who are working out our salvation as God works in us through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit, our advocate, the one who draws alongside, who calls us, who challenges us, but also the one who empowers us to live lives that are pleasing to God. And as we do so, as, as, as God works that through us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and we're living these lives that reflect the love of God and reflect the goodness of God and the changes brought in, in our lives, the result of it is this, is that individually and corporately, we will shine as lights in the world. There'll be something that's different about us, like light in the darkness. This is what it means to be witnesses for Jesus. It's not just about the words we speak, it's about the lives that we live. To make him known through the way that we live. Like lights in the dark. It's the Holy Spirit who who enables us to do that. We can't do that by ourselves. And then in Acts 13. Again after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Paul and Barnabas. They're in Antioch. Which if my geography is right is in modern day Turkey. The whole city, and in Acts 13, the whole city is gathered around them. There are some there who are getting a bit edgy with them, getting hostile with them. And then in verse 46, it began to say this. They said, for the Lord has, um, what did I say, 46. It says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. 
And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. To me, that sounds like Matthew 28 in action. Jesus commands to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what's happening there. But it's after the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Again, we see this in Acts 2. As Peter preaches, it says that as he's preaching, it uses this word. It says that to those who were listening, it says they were cut to the heart. Something had happened. Paul, uh, Peter's words had, had got in somewhere where previously they might not have got to. See, as we partner with the Holy Spirit in making Jesus known, even the most deadened conscience can be pierced by the Holy Spirit. We read it. John 16, verse 8. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Holy Spirit is more than a nightlight to comfort us in Jesus' absence. He leads us. Not only does he lead us, but he empowers us in our walk and in our witness to the world to make us a light in the world and to make us a light to the world. This is why Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go, then I can send the advocate to you. Who will glorify Jesus and make him known. Who will lead us and empower us in our lives and in our witness. That we will be like lights in the world and to the world. Just very quickly. Um, Eva's getting to the point where she, she's beginning to understand time uh, and we, we're talking about days of the week and months of the year and uh, you know whose birthday is coming up next and Christmas is coming up and when that's going to happen and uh, she's got a little bit I don't, I don't think it's fair to say an obsession but she's very excited about her birthday coming and she whenever someone else has a birthday she's like so after their, then it's my birthday after this birthday, you're like, no, after them, then it's, you know, so it's dad's birthday, my dad's birthday the other day, it's like, yeah, but then it's Uncle Luke's birthday, and then it's Christmas, and then it's, and then it's your birthday. So she now knows that after Christmas, she knows Christmas is Jesus' birthday, after Christmas, then it's her birthday. And the other day, uh, well, well, about a month or so ago now, Steph had been well on top of the Christmas shopping, and we'd bought her a, a hoodie, um, and uh, we and they had been they had been hidden but then for some reason Steph had had to get the presents out and put them in another room for a moment and Eva went into this room and she spotted the hoodie okay so we're like beginning of October time I think and she saw the hoodie and she got so excited and and in that moment we had to decide what do we do do we take it off her and wait for Christmas but then she was going to be really gutted if we did that so we said it was a stupid question we said do you want it now or do you want to wait until Christmas? And uh, she's been wearing it for like the last two months. But then as soon as that happened, she, we said, that was your Christmas present. So as soon as that happened, she, she was like, okay, Christmas. And then she's like, I've got my Christmas present. And she's like, so it's my birthday now. Is it? I was like, no, no, no. It's like, you still have to wait for Christmas. But everything about everything for her is leading up to her birthday. She's kind of got this real preoccupation. It's all about that deadline. It's all about that timeline for her. What the apostles were wanting 
was for Jesus to say, my kingdom is coming at this point. So they knew what they were working towards. They knew what they were waiting for and how long they had to wait. But Jesus said to them, he says, actually, it's not for you to know the time when I'm coming back. But I've got something for you to be getting on with for however long that's going to take. And then I love this moment where Jesus has ascended back into heaven and the the apostles, you can just imagine, they just stood there looking up into the sky where Jesus had, had just gone. And they're just looking up, staring. No one's moved off. They're all watching and waiting to see what happens. And these angels come to them and uh, they say, what, what are you doing? Why are you looking? Jesus has gone, but you can be sure of this. He is going to be coming back. But when they're talking, it's almost as if the angels are saying, look, he's coming back. Be sure of that, but you, don't, you, you need to stop looking up there and you need to start looking out there. Because there's something that God, that, that, that God has got for you to be doing in the world. I mentioned John Stott earlier. He says on this, he says, there was just something a little bit... There they were gazing up into the sky when actually they'd been commissioned to go to the ends of the earth. And it's like the angels just gave them that little bit of a, let's get your focus right here. Be assured Jesus is coming back. But let's not allow ourselves to be so preoccupied in terms of timings and dates. That's not for you to know. What I need you to do is to be getting on with what we've called you to do. And that is to go and make disciples of all nations. See, the vision they were to have was not looking kind of nostalgically up into heaven, which had received Jesus. Yes, we look forward to the day when we'll be united with Jesus, but we don't just long with kind of a a nostalgic fondness of, oh, it's going to be great. There'll be a day when we're reunited, when Jesus comes back and we're reunited with him. But actually, the vision that they've received from Jesus is one to be outwards in compassion to a lost world that is in need of him. And I just wanted to say that because I want us to say, actually, we, we don't need to know the timing when Jesus is coming back. We just need to live each day as witnesses for him. We can be assured that, what, is he coming back? Yes. That's not in doubt. That's not even a question we need to consider. He's coming back. But until he comes back, because we've received the Holy Spirit, as those who have received the Holy Spirit, we need to be out being his witnesses and making disciples of all nations. Now, originally, my t- the title for this sermon, um, I had called it, it was thinking something along the lines of promised helper, just because now we put stuff online, we tend to put titles to stuff. But then as I was preparing, I changed it from promised helper, and I'm, it's now going to go on as the advocate, and not, it sounds like a great name for a film, but it's not just because of that, it's the advocate. But the reason I've changed it from promised helper to the advocate is because I want us to be aware of what side of the promise we're on. I started, us, started by getting us to imagine we were together waiting, but we don't need to wait. We don't need to wait like the apostles had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because the Spirit has already been poured out. 
The same spirit that came at Pentecost, meaning that God's presence has now been brought to millions of believers all at once, including us. The same advocate who draws alongside to support us, who reveals Jesus to us, who guides us into all truth, who enables us to live lives in response to the love that Jesus has shown us. The same advocate who draws alongside to support us as we press on in our everyday call to be witnesses of Jesus and to make disciples of all nations. Aren't you glad we live in this side of the promise? Holy Spirit has been poured out. But he's been poured out for a reason. And we need to make sure we're pressing into everything that God has for us individually and corporately. Do you not want to see the ends of the earth reached? But we need to be faithful to what God is calling us to do where we are right here and right now. Because there are people, even now, outside the the walls of this building who need to know him. Amen? Can I pray quickly for us and then we'll draw time to a close? Father, I want